you're doing. Praise God. I only had half a screen, and I'm like, how do I do this? He just reaches up and touches it. Dude. The Lord is good, isn't he? Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to feel the presence of the Lord. Praise God. And I am just so glad to know Jesus. I really am. Praise God. This is lesson four. And uh, we're going to get right into it. Uh, lesson three, we ended up with Joseph forgives his brothers and Jacob and them all go down into Egypt. Praise the Lord. And uh, the one thing nice about the Bible is there's a lot of things we can learn from the Bible. And uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, Exodus. Israel is exiting Egypt. Do you realize that they were down there for 400 years? 400 years that the Israelites was down into Egypt. They walked into Egypt around 70, 80, however you count them. But they walked out of Egypt 2 to 3 million. There was millions of them. But the 400 years they were down there, it just blows my mind. It's probably about four generations, wouldn't you think? At least four, maybe five generations. Praise God. Yeah, back in that day, they lived to be 100 pretty easily. And so for 400 years, amen, they stayed down into Egypt. The children of Israel were faithful, and they increased abundantly, and they was multiplying tremendously. Praise the Lord. You ever hear it say that they multiplied like rabbits? Well, they multiplied, praise God, and they grew tremendously. Now, the Bible tells us that there was a king that was raised that did not know Joseph. He had no respect for Joseph, nor the things of Joseph. And because they were being blessed, Joseph began to become fearful of them. And so he set them into, he set taskmasters over them and tried to kill the male children. Uh, but the midwives would not do that for their fear of God. Isn't it great when people who are not Christians still fear, fear God? And they feared God and they would not allow, amen, the babies to be born. And of course, when Pharaoh called them in, uh, they said, you know, the, 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 Egypt, the Israelite women are not like Egyptian women. They have their babies, and we don't even have to be there. They're very strong and very uh, robust. And the Lord said, because they did that, he had houses built for them, which is an amazing story in itself. But for 400 years, they were there, and they were in captivity. Pharaoh began to put them under bondage, and he began to uh, uh, deal with them put them under the, the bondage of Egypt, praise the Lord. But God had told them, he had pre-told them that in 400 years he was going to deliver them out. And that was something that the Israelites really, really believed in. Now, God began to move upon them, and uh, God allowed the birth of Moses. Moses was born. And Pharaoh uh, became fearful of the Hebrews, and uh, because he was afraid they was going to override the Egyptians, overtake the Egyptians, and so he began to uh, oppress them. When Pharaoh commanded the people uh, to destroy the baby boys by throwing them in the river in Exodus, uh, Jochebed uh, and Amran, uh, father and mother of Moses, when they could no longer hide Moses at home, the Bible said she made an ark of bulrushes and pitched it, and she took it out and she hid it amongst the, uh, the, the, the brush along the river. 
Well, one day, you know, God's got a way of taking care of things. God's got a way of doing things. And so one day, uh, Pharaoh's daughter came, and she was bathing, and all of a sudden, she, she had heard the cry of a, or I'm sorry, she had seen the ark, and uh, she brought it, and when she opened the lid of it, the, Bi the Bible said the baby cried, and when the baby cried, uh, her heart was taken, and she uh, was determined, praise God, to raise the child. Amen. And so uh, the, the sister was standing off at a distance, and she said to Moses, or she said to Pharaoh's daughter, she says, can I get somebody to take care of this child for you? And so Pharaoh's daughter ended up paying uh, his mother a very healthy fee to, to raise her own child. Praise God. And so it was a tremendous, a tremendous story. The Bible said the, the kid grew, and, and uh, after he got a certain age, probably about 12 years old, uh, he took her, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she put him in all the best schooling in Egypt. He had the best of everything. He knew what it was. Praise God. And so, amen, Moses uh, uh, began, began to become raised. And, and uh, praise the Lord. The same river that could have been the means of his destruction ended up being Moses' salvation. Just like Jesus, amen, became our Savior instead of our judge. And to, we began to follow him into salvation. There's a story I want to tell you about. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a crisis about the Civil War. Uh, a New York farmer was drafted into the army. His wife had died, leaving him a sole su supporter of the family and the little children that he had. He was wondering what to do when a young man of the neighborhood who had no dependence upon him, came to his house and said to him, he offered, he said, I will go to war and I will take your place. For the sake of his children, the farmer had accepted the offer. He said, yes, that'll be fine. I really appreciate it. So he went off to war. In, his, when, in this young man's first engagement, uh, he was shot and he was killed. And uh, the news filtered back to the farmer in New York, uh, where he had his farm. The man took one of his horses from the field, and he drove to the scene, and he sought and sought and sought until he found the body of the young man. He brought him back, and he took him to the village courtyard and uh, buried him there on a hill, took a stone out and hewed it out, and then he wrote this subscription on the stone. He died for me. He died for me. And that's what Christ did for us. Christ died for us. And so Moses began to become raised. And in the heart of Moses, he understood that there needed to be a deliverer. Although he was raised in the house of Pharaoh, the blood that flowed through his veins was still that of the Jew. And so he knew, praise God, that he was well taken care of, he was well watched over, he was well cared for, but he knew that the only reason he did that was because of his situation. And so Moses began to 
weary with that. And so one day Moses was out and he saw an a, a, uh, Egyptian beating one of the Hebrews. And so he began to quarrel with him. It got bad. He ended up killing that Egyptian. And so he buried him. A, a day later or two days later, he was out again. There was two Hebrews fighting this time. And he said to the Hebrews, he said, what are you doing? Why are you fighting one against another? And the Hebrews looked at him and said, what are you going to do? You're going to kill me just like you did the Egyptian? He realized, praise God, even though he was trying to help, he realized that they still was not going to give him any slack or cover for him. He knew he was in trouble. You see, Moses tried to take the, the thing in his own hands. Just like Abraham and Sarah, when they took Hagar and had Ishmael, they took it into their own hands. We can know the will of the Lord, but sometimes it's not up to us to fulfill the will of the Lord. We have to wait on God. Moses took and tried to do it himself instead of waiting. God, you, you never want to get ahead of God in what God is doing. You always want to stay behind God. And so Moses had to flee. And so Moses was raised 40 years in Egypt, and so he's now got to go to Midian. He will be there approximately 40 years. He was 40 years in Egypt. He was 40 years in Midian. He was 40 years in leading the children of Israel across the wilderness, praise God. And so Moses realized that his deed was known, and he was fearing, so he went. So, praise God, for 40 years, Moses went on the backside of the desert. He married Zephra, the daughter of a Midianite priest, Jethro. And so he was there. He was taking care of the sheep. And then all of a sudden, God called Moses. One day, Moses was tending the sheep, and behold, the bush was burning. Now, that's not an unnormal sight. Things burn in the desert. Some of those bushes would get extremely hot, and then they would catch fire, and they would burn up. But as he began to watch this bush, he began to become amazed because although there was a fire, the bush was not being consumed. And so God's, he's kind of got his attention. And at that point, you know, God really knows how to get our attention, doesn't he? God called to him out of the midst of the bush, giving him a call for his life's work. God told Moses, he said, he said I've heard the cries of the children of Israel. And I want you to go down and deliver them. God, Moses said, you know, I tried that once, God. It didn't work out very well. And God says, yeah, I know, but I, I'm going to send you down. Moses tried every way he could to get out of it. He talked about how he was a, uh, a tongue-tied cowboy from the south side of the, of the prairie. And uh, that he just, he just did everything he could to try to get uh, out of it. But God said, no, I'm going to send you down. So Moses expressed his doubts for the job, but God said, nope, I'm going to send you down. He said, what's that in your hand? Moses is like, this is a rod. Now, this is amazing to me. I love this story because he's standing here and he's got this rod. And God says, praise the Lord, I, I want you to throw the rod down. And so he threw the rod down and it turned into a snake. Praise the Lord. Oh, that was cute. That's neat. Okay, reach down and grab it by the tail. Right. 
Can you imagine that? Praise the Lord. He had to reach down and grab that serpent by the tail. I don't know about you, but especially at my age, serpents are probably a lot faster than I am. Amen. I tell you what I would have reached down and touched that serpent with. It would have been a shovel. Praise God. But he said, reach down and grab its tail. And so, I mean, it was easy to toss it down. Now you got to pick it up. And so Moses reached down and he grabbed the tail and it turned right back into a staff. Amen. And then the Lord said to him, this, this is amazing to me too. He says, um, Moses, stick your hand in your side. And he did. And he brought it out. It was leprous. He's standing there looking at a disease that can kill him. And then the Lord said to him, stick your hand back in. I'm sure Moses said, I ain't got no problems with this one. Praise God. <laughs> and now the snake, that's... But isn't it amazing how God says, do something that's easy and then do something that's hard. And then it's do something that's hard and then do something that's easy. And God was trying to teach him that I can work in all ways. I can take and I can make things bad for you, or I can take and make things good. Now, which do you want, Moses? Which do you want? I had somebody today that said to me, they said, I've got some good news and bad news. It was about the water off in Chester. And I said, what do you want first? I said, give me the good news. And they said, okay, there is no good news. I said, I'm going to have to remember that one. I like that one. I said, okay, give me the bad news. There is no good news. Praise God. But God took care of Moses. Amen. And he had Moses go down to Pharaoh. Moses obeyed the Lord, and he returned to Egypt, and he went into Pharaoh, and he told Pharaoh, let my people go, those famous words. And Pharaoh desired, uh, uh, desired, praise God, to keep the Hebrews in bondage. And he rebelled. I don't know God. That's another thing he said. I don't know God. Who, you know, I don't know your God. I don't recognize your God. Woo. Praise God. If I'd have been God, I'd have been right there in his nose. I'm God. But you see, I, I feel threatened. God doesn't feel threatened. So he just ignores people like that. And so he said, I don't know your God. And so Moses began to have the plagues. There were uh, many plagues. I think there was 10 of them. There was the plagues uh, on the Egyptians' gods. They were actually on the Egyptians' god, the plagues of frogs. You know, the Egyptians worshipped the frogs. And so God just let them have all the frogs that take. They couldn't even see the ground for frogs. Can you imagine that? You know, having to be careful you don't step on your god. Praise God. He said, you want a God for a frog? I'll give you all the frogs you want. There was plagues upon the cattle. There was plagues upon the sun. The, all these places they worshipped. Praise God. And, uh, and, so, and so finally, Pharaoh would agree, and then he would not let him go. He'd say, you can go, but don't take your cattle. You can go, but don't take your kids. You can go. So it was up and down, up and down, up and down, and God continued to attack every one of their gods. But you see, God had an order. Now, God told Moses from the very get-go, he said, he's not going to let you go to begin with. So just be prepared for it. Amen. And, and that was another thing that really blows my mind. And that was the children of Israel were crying out to God. God, amen, we want to get 
we want to get out of bondage. We want to get out of bondage. We want to get out of bondage. So Moses goes down and he turns the water into blood. And so Pharaoh says, hey, you, Egypt, you Israelites, you've got too much time on your hand. Now we're not going to give you the hay or stubble or whatever. You've got to get your own, but don't, don't diminish with the word they use. Don't stop using the amount of bricks that you use. Well, all of a sudden, the Israelites start on to Moses and say, what are you doing? What are you, what, you come down here and it's harder now than ever before. Praise God. Sometimes we do the same thing. We want God to do something in our lives. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. One time we had somebody here, amen, that was uh, praying for their dad. I want to see my dad saved. I want to see my dad saved. Praise God. And then the next week, he had a heart attack. And uh, they got up and said, pray, my dad's got a heart attack, that God makes it right. I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I said, you've been praying that God saves your dad. I said, uh, now you want him to get off the heart attack. And sure enough, that man got saved and lived probably another 20 years. He's, he lived up 20 more years. A Christian. Praise God. So sometimes, you know, we uh, are just like them. We ask God to do something, and when God begins to work, all of a sudden, because we don't understand what God's doing, we're saying, oh, I don't know about that. Praise God. Amen. And so God began to move upon them. So the plagues came. So there was one last plague. It was the plague of the Passover. It was the deliverance from, uh, by the blood. This was going to be a representation of what Calvary was going to be. The Lord told Moses, he said, I want you to speak to the congregation, and I want you to get them to take a lamb the first year without blemish for each household. He instructed them to kill that lamb and apply that blood upon the doorpost and upon the lintel of the house. They were to roast the lamb and eat it at night along with, praise God, unleavened bread. And so they were to be there. Unleavened means it doesn't rise. You're not going to wait. Leaven also is a representation of sin because when somebody falls into sin, that sin grows. Adam and Eve ate of forbidden fruit, and before you know it, Eve's sin grew in the fact that Cain killed Abel. And so it just, when people sin, it just it continues on and on and on. You commit adultery, you got to lie about it. It just goes on and on and on. And so, praise the Lord. So yeast, you cannot have uh, yeast in the house. And so they were to eat it with their all ready to leave that night. The Bible says that God gave them a blessing. And they were uh, much blessed by the Egyptians and favored by the Egyptians at this point. And so they loaded them up with things. And uh, at the Passover, the firstborn died. I like to do this. Who's, who in here is the firstborn? I'm a firstborn. Everybody, get your arms up. Let's see how many firstborn. Boy, we'd have a lot of funerals here tonight. If we didn't have the blood upon the doorpost and upon the lintel. Praise God. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the firstborn. Amen. And so, uh, the only way you wouldn't want to be a firstborn is if you was an Egyptian back then. Praise the Lord. And so, but the firstborn was, died. Salvation uh, in this age is the same way. It's Jesus Christ, amen, and it's his Passover. It's the blood that he spent for us at Calvary. 
The Lord did that, amen, just like uh, Moses did it. And it was um, a thing that got us through, got them through. So Pharaoh had, uh, that night, the death angel came over, and everybody that didn't have the blood upon the doorpost in the land, you know, it just blows my mind. Some of the Jews probably didn't do it. Some of the Egyptians probably did. Think about it. In the morning, them Egyptians would walk out and see their neighbors with the blood on the doorpost and the lentil and probably made them leave with the Egyptians when they left. But some of them Egyptians, they knew by this point, they followed and they knew that God, I mean, they, Moses said there'll be frogs. There was frogs. Moses said the water's going to turn to blood. There was. Moses said there's going to be lice. There was lice. It wasn't like as if he, he, he sent somebody out and saw the lice coming and come back and said, there's lice coming. No, he predicted it. So they knew that he had, he, and matter of fact, the Bible says that Moses became a god to Pharaoh. He looked at him like a god, praise the Lord. And Pharaoh, amen, agreed to let him go. And he sent him out. And on the way out, praise God, Pharaoh had, uh, had a change of heart in Exodus chapter 13. And he went after the people, praise God. He changed his mind. He sent his armies after them. Amen. And when the Israelites got out to the Red Sea, and saw, amen, the Red Sea, and they looked back. They saw Pharaoh coming with his chariots. They began to cry out to Moses. Moses, what are you doing? Was, was there not graves in Egypt for us to be buried in? Praise God. And so uh, God talked to Moses, and uh, he, as the chariots began to become close, Moses told the people, he said, Fear ye not, and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And so they stood still, amen, as the Egyptians came. And Exodus chapter 14, Moses lifted his rod, and he, the Lord caused the sea to go back miraculously. And they crossed on dry ground. Now, I, I drained my pond once just to see what was at the bottom of it, praise God. And uh, I killed all the fish accidentally, so I might as well drain the pond. So I drained the pond, and I'm telling you, when that pond was drained, I walked out in the middle of it, and I was almost up to my waist in mud. I mean, there is a, th a thick, tremendous amount of mud that's there. But instantly, when God parted those waters, that mud was dried hard. Can you imagine that? You know, there's a little story about a, a new convert. And uh, so he, he, he was a new convert. He was loving the Lord. He just came to the Lord. And somebody at work said to him, said, you know what? He said, uh, uh, you know, uh, just take the example of Moses when he crossed over the, the Red Sea. He says, do you know history tells us that when he crossed that Red Sea, that uh, history tells us that it was only about a foot of water? He got so excited, he started jumping up and down and shouting. And he said, what is your problem? He said, my God is so great, he can drown the Egyptians in a foot of water. And you know what's an amazing thing? There's a point to that. God writes his scriptures in a way that you cannot disregard them. 
you got to know. Praise God. Amen. And so, as they crossed on dry land and they got over there, God put the fire, a pillar of fire and a pillar of, of, uh, of, of smoke in between them. And so, uh, God did that. They got over there. And after they got over there, he lifted it. And then, you realize them, Egyptians, were dumb enough to go out in the middle of that water? Praise God. They, were, they had all that armor on. They had all that weight on. They were, they, I mean, their boots were metal. Everything was metal. They, they, you might as well took cinder blocks and tied to them and tossed them in there. Praise God. They get out in the middle of that water, and God closes it up. Amen. And the, and, and the Bible says that their, their wheels started falling off. All of a sudden, that started to get muddy again. And their wheels fell off. And so they drowned them. And when the Israelites, it's amazing to me when, when it says the Israelites saw them uh, on the shore. I don't know if the water was so high and then all of a sudden it came back down to a normal level or something or what. But saw those Egyptians. Can you see those Egyptians on the shore dead? Praise the Lord. You never raised a sword or anything. Praise God. And so uh, you, could, you could imagine that. Jesus Christ, amen, uh, rescues us from sin and death. And he restores our soul. The Egyptian represents the type of bondage of sin. The Red Sea is a type of our baptism. It's like when we go to baptism. Praise God for our fathers. We're baptized uh, unto Moses in a cloud and into the sea. 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 10, 1 and 2. The Bible tells us a, a, a figure lesson will show the entering into the promised land is a type of receiving God's promise when we go into the promised land. Um, but there's battles to be fought, giants to be killed, and etc. And we see God's salvation in it. When they crossed over the Red Sea, it was like our baptism. Praise the Lord. When they started out and they went to cross, the Egyptians could go after them. But they could not, the Egyptians could not go through the water. And that's the same thing that happens when we're baptized. When we're baptized, our sins cannot go through the water. Praise the Lord. We're buried with him in baptism. The Ten uh, Commandments. Moses uh, got them up, and he brought them uh, from the Red Sea into the wilderness of Sinai. Then he called to uh, uh, Moriah, and they, uh, Mora, Mora. Uh, Mariah, um, Mariah, and they found bitter water there. Um, it was bitter. It did not taste good. It was drinking water. I read one time where it had magnesium in it, and they had a horrible uh, bowel problem, and uh, it had magnesium in it. It's what they use for milk of magnesia. And uh, God wanted to, to, to help them. Uh, it was a medicine. They did not want it. They murmured. They complained to God. You know, there's a lot of things in life that we don't understand. But when we murmur and complain to God, there are things that God does in our lives. And we murmur and we complain. We don't understand. Praise God. But God had a reason for it. And so they murmured and complained. God told Moses, he said, I want you to cut a tree and toss it into the water. And the water became sweet. 
And so after three months on the journey from Egypt, they arrived at Mount Sinai. And God reminded them there, praise God, and they stayed there for a year. He took the place at Sinai and marked the beginning of Israel's national history. From now on, this is where you're going to be. He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, praise God, but now he's going to officially make that covenant. At Mount Sinai, God gave Moses the law. This included the Ten Commandments. That's where he got the Ten Commandments. Amen. As well as the moral law. Moral law is a law between one and another, your morals. Uh, you know, the moral ways. And then, of course, there was the ceremonial law. That's the law that had to do with the functions of the tabernacle and uh, the ministries and stuff like that. And then your civil law. Civil law would be more like red lights and stop signs and stuff of that sort. But God intended Israel to live, amen, by the law until Jesus came in the fullness of time. God wanted, under the law, they lived by the law. But under Jesus Christ, to us today, we live under the Holy Ghost. You see, when I have the Holy Ghost inside, and when God is living inside of me, I don't want to lie. I don't want to steal. I don't want to do the things that I shouldn't do. You don't have to tell me. You know, if we have stop signs down at the end of the street there. If, um, if everybody stopped at every intersection like they should, they would eventually not put stop signs up anymore. But the reason they put stop signs up is because somebody's going to go right through there and they're going to stop them, and they're going to say, well, there wasn't a stop sign. I didn't know. Praise God. It's like, it's like the, 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 the woman that kind of went through the stop sign a little bit. She just gradually went through the stop sign. The cop stopped her. He said, you didn't stop. She said, I slowed down. He said, you didn't stop. And she said, I slowed down. So he took his billy club out, and he started to tap her on the shoulder. He said, would you like me to slow down or stop? Praise God. But if you have a stop sign down there, or if you don't have no stop signs, nobody will stop. But you put stop signs up. And if you know to love God and live for him, you don't have to live by the law. It's not the law that's stopping you. They don't have to make a law for me to rob banks because I'm just not going to rob banks. Praise God. It's not the law that says, I can't rob banks that's stopping me. I'm just not going to do it. Praise God. And so, amen. We don't live according to the law. We live according to grace. The law pointed out our shortcomings. We know how to live because God gave us the law. We know it's best not to lie because, or it's not right to lie because God said, thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. All these things we know is good and that God wants us to do. So then God tells them, he said, I'm going to build a tabernacle. And it's going to be a pattern or a plan of what I'm going to do, uh, what is the tabernacle in heaven and the tabernacle on earth. So when God gave them Moses the plan to the tabernacle on Mount Sinai, he admonished Moses to fill the specifications. You can read about it in Leviticus and in some of them books, the construction. Exodus talks about a good bit of it. 
the last part of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so the tabernacle was more uh, of a construction, and it was a place of worship while in the wilderness. Um, it was an, a, a layout or a shadow of what God was and what God is and what God was going to be. Praise God. It's, a, it's also a pattern or uh, a shadow or it's a pattern of salvation. I'll explain it a little bit here in a minute. There's only one entrance into the courtyard, into the tabernacle. There's only one way to God. John 10 and 9 tells us that. Inside the courtyard, the very first thing you come to is brazen. Now, brazen was brass. It was what they used as a looking glass. And so brass represented judgment because you look at yourself. You judge yourself. You look at it and you say, oh, no, I got a mark on my cheek or whatever the case may be. So you judge yourself. So the brass represented judgment. The wood represented humanity that it was built on. Praise God. And so it was a brazen laver. Then came uh, along besides that was the, I'm sorry, the brazen altar. Then came the brazen laver. The brazen laver was a place, amen, where uh, it was brass once again because it was judgment. It was wood because it was judgment upon humanity. From that day forward, from that point on in the tabernacle, amen, there was no more brass because you were no more judged after you repented and was baptized. Praise God. And so, and so <clears throat> then you came into the holiest of whole, or the holy place, I'm sorry. And in the holy place on the left, amen, there was the uh, seven golden candlesticks. And then the table was showbread. And right above you is the altar of incense. The seven golden candlesticks, seven always represented perfect, uh, completeness. Completeness. And the gold represented God. Then the table of showbread represented uh, the word of God. The fire on the seven golden candlesticks represented the Holy Ghost. And so we use that today. We use the Holy Ghost to read his word. Praise God. And so the only light in that tabernacle, uh, because them curtains were thick, they were heavy, it was dark in there. But the only light that was in that tabernacle came from them seven golden candlesticks. The only light that's ever going to come in your life is the, life is the light of God. Praise God. He's going to make light. When God moved upon the face of the deep, the very first thing he did was he made light. Praise God. Because uh, he is light. He is the light of the world. And so them seven golden stand candlesticks represented him. Amen. And if you're going to see really, oh, this is good. If you're really going to see the table of showbread, which is the word of God, you're going to have to really see it with the seven golden candlesticks, the Holy Ghost. So if you read the word, you know, um, I, I, uh, uh, um, I, I've met writers of books, um, and so uh, I, I would meet them. And when you have a person that writes a book, uh, they have the words there, but when you meet the writer, he knows more about what those words are actually saying. If you're reading it and he's saying, this is what I mean, this is what I mean, this is what I mean. When you're reading the Word of God and you've got the Holy Ghost, you're reading the Word of God with the same spirit that was with them when they wrote it. 
So when you are reading the Word of God and you're reading it with the Holy Ghost, you're reading it with the same spirit that they wrote it, praise God. And so in the holiest of holies, then they went into the holiest of holies, which was the Ark of the Covenant. There abode what was God's spirit. It was between two golden cherubims because they protected it. They were located on the lid of the Ark, praise God, of the mercy seat, amen. And God is omnipresent, and he was there. Um, and so he manifested his glory there and to show it. And the relationship with Israel. God always desired to dwell with his people. Praise God. And the Holy Ghost was in the tabernacle all the way up till the day of Pentecost. Now let's talk about the tabernacle and the cross to the cross. Praise God. The tabernacle to the cross. From the tabernacle to the cross. Amen. The altar of sacrifice. The priests would approach the tabernacle first by the way of the brazen altar. When we come to God, the best way to come to God is to come to him in repentance. Anytime you go to pray, just repent. Tell God how sorry you are. God, I am sorry. Because that's the way you come into the holiest of holies. You might say, well, I really didn't do anything wrong. Um, well, ju you just tell God, I need, you got to come humbly to him. You got to die out to self. You might not say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done, but say, God, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. Forgive me. Lord, I'm weak. I need your strength. Um, I, I just, and you got to come by the way of the altar. The priest would come by the way of the altar. It was a place of death. It was a place of shedding of blood. Praise God. It represents the death of Jesus, that what he did on Calvary. It was the points of repentance, when we come to repentance, which uh, is our identification with Christ. Amen. It was our death. Everyone must approach, amen, God, through the repentance. Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall likewise and perish. It was merely the altar that gave the worshiper access to the holy place. Amen. By putting away his sins, we cannot go to God with our sins. We have to ask God to forgive us of our sins. With, within the brazen altar, all else, no matter how magnificent, was useless. It, you just could not pass it. Praise God. All the priests and their garments with sanctified vessels. Everything had to go from the blood of the altar. Praise God. To sanctify them. Um, here is the story of the cross to Christ to Calvary. There is no pardon, no righteousness, no peace, no grace, no blessings, no salvation without the sacrifice on the cross. It's got to be the brazen altar, amen, where that lamb want, had to die. You know, that, I'm sure that lamb didn't want to die. We don't want to die, praise God, but we have to die. The altar represents the shedding of the blood, that Jesus did. Without the shedding of blood, Bible tells us there's no remission of sins. Hebrews 9 and 22. The fire upon the altar was never to go out. Praise God. There was no, uh, no, no hour of day nor night. Amen. That fire could go out. The next thing he would come to would be called the laver. It's, uh, it had water in the top of it and water to wash his feet. It was called the brazen laver. Once again, it was brass. You know, I had a, a dream one night, praise the Lord, where I was doing the, the, the role of a priest. And 
I had did my sacrifice, and I uh, had walked over to the brazen laver, and I had stick, stuck my hands in that brazen laver. I could see myself in that water, but when I put my hands in there, that blood made that water to where I could not see myself. And for me, years ago, that caused me to really know that because of the blood, I am gone and he is alive in me. It just made some kind of, it made some kind of imprint on me. And so the brazen labor, you got the brazen labor where you come up and you wash your hands and you wash your feet. God told him, unless you wash, you will die, Exodus 30 and 21. Praise God. And you know, it's sad, but a lot of people today are trying to do away with the importance of baptism. But here we see, praise God, that it is a, 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 a thing that God has implemented. Amen. Instead of going to the brazen labor, we go to baptism. The labor points out the cleansing of sin uh, from, from us. Acts 2 and 38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Amen. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for your sins. And it is a ceremonial worship we have thereof, 1 John 1 and 7. When we are baptized, God washes away our sins, Acts 22 and 16. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned, Mark 16 and 16. Praise God. Baptism does also save us. Praise God. 1 Peter 3 and 21. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. But, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, 1 Corinthians 6 and 11. And so there are so many scriptures that talk about the importance of baptism, but I'm going to say it again. A lot of churches are doing without baptisms. We had somebody that had left here years and years ago, amen, and uh, huge church, a lot of money. And uh, they did baptism once a year at the uh, at the uh, Y, and I said, why would you have a church without a baptismal tank? And they said, well, we just do it once a year. And, and I thought, it must not be important, but baptism is important scripturally. But Peter told them to repent and be baptized, every one of you. And so after the baptism, they went into the holy place, and there was the golden candlesticks, so the lamp, lamp stands, and the showbread, the altar of incense, Altar of incense is the prayers of the saints. And so you have the golden candlesticks. The golden candlesticks was pure gold in seven, which meant completion, just like seven days a week. Praise God. With the stands, it provided the light, the only light. It's the true light. Praise God. And so the table of showbread. The table of showbread was approximately three feet by 18 inches, and it was 27 inches high. It was made of a Korah wood, Overlaid with pure gold. On the table of the showbread were 12 loaves of uh, unleavened bread, which were eaten by the high priest and the sons, praise God, in the holy place. The showbread provided substance for the priest. Um, and that's what the word of God does for us. It provides substance for us. It gives us strength. I'm telling you what, I'm reading the Bible. I try to read the Bible every six months. And I'm, I'm reading the Bible, but I can tell... Uh, when I have gone a day or two without reading it. It might be something about the tabernacle and the implements of the, of the things that's in it. But, man, I can tell. I'm like, you know what? I, need to, I really need to read the Bible because I need that strength. The altar of incense. The altar of incense was made of the wood overlaid with gold, 
and it represents prayers to God. Revelations 5 and 8 tells us that. The incense was offered to God in the morning and the evening. We should pray each day. Amen. To God. Pray in the morning, evening, night. Pray all the time. So God hears the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous. James 5 and 16. The, prayer, the fire on the altar of incense came from the brazen altar. Praise God. They brought that in. It takes you dying out to get the fire. And then you can take it and worship him. That's why the Bible says the true worshipers shall worship him both in spirit and in truth. And so then you go into the holiest of holies, beyond the veil of the west of the place of the, holy, of the holiest of holies. Praise God. There dwelt the presence of God in the holiest of holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where Aaron's rod that budded, that showed, praise God, newness. That's where the Ten Commandments was. That's where the golden uh, pot of manna that uh, was represented there. Praise God. And so all these things were, was represented there. The Israelites, here, here it is up on the board. So if you look at it, that was laid out like a cross. If you notice your white that goes up and then goes across. That was laid out from like a cross. Amen. You know, the law was in the mind. That's where the law was at the top there. He, and then, of course, um, his hands, uh, you know, the, 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 the light or the, the spirit of God and the word of God come together. The Bible talks in Revelations about his feet or his fine brass. And so when you look at the ark or the brazen uh, um, altar, you can see brass. And then what happened when they ran the sword up into Christ on the cross? The Bible said blood and water came out. That's where the labor was. And so that blood and water, where the blood and water mixed. And so there's just, God, you know, when you see something, when you see, people have characters. And that character, you can, you, can, you can realize that character. And you can realize when they're not in their right character, something's wrong. That's not the way they always act. Praise God. And God's got a character, and he never changes. He's always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And so the God of the New Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. And although there are ways he did things in the Old Testament, it has a pattern or a plan to what he was going to do in the New Testament. So you have the brazen labor on the day of Pentecost, repentance. You, I'm sorry, the brazen altar, the brazen labor, baptism, the Holy Ghost, the fire, praise God, the bread, the word of God. The law in the mind or in the holiest of holies, praise God. That's what the Holy Ghost does. It makes us want to live for God. And so, but the law was a schoolmaster that was going to bring us to Christ. It was going to help us to realize that our need of Christ. It was a very important thing, praise God. That tabernacle points us out to Jesus, all the things of Jesus. The altar, the sacrifice, all those things. The labor represents the cleansing or the washing. All these things represented, there was a layout pattern plan, praise God. And God did that plan in the tabernacle, in the wilderness. And then next week, we're going to be talking about the promised land. Praise the Lord. You know, they, they, they was in the wilderness for 40 years. They did not have to be in the wilderness. But because they did not trust God, they could have crossed that wilderness in, four, in two weeks at the most. Maybe a week. They could have been out of that wilderness. And uh, they, di they didn't because they did not trust God. They just did not trust God.
And so there's a lot of lessons in the Bible, the Old Testament, because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's all stand. Praise God. Lord, we love you, God, and praise you for this evening. Lord, we thank you for your word. Let us take and chew on this this week. God, and let us depart from this place, but not from your presence. God, bring us back at your appointed time. Help us, dear Lord, to walk and talk and live for you. And God, we're going to give you all the praise, glory, honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Can everyone say amen?